Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to tonight's episode. I'm your host, Tom. Welcome to Ludicrous Feed Live. Thanks for joining us. We monitor each week the state of Australia's EV adoption, uh, both internally, where we compare the progress between states and territories, as well as externally by comparing ourselves with the rest of the world. Each week, we chat to special guests from the uh, EV and renewable space. Hello, if you're watching this live tonight, uh, feel free to leave a comment in the live chat, of course, if you're a channel subscriber. Hello, too, if you're watching this on replay. Thanks so much for making the effort. And also a special welcome to those watching or listening to us from podcast. Yes, we'll be distributing the audio from each live stream from now on to uh, your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's uh, move on with the next slide. And uh, yes, I want to welcome our regular guests, which are, of course, the one and only Riz and also Rahul as well. Hello, gents. How are we? Going well, Tom. Hey, Rahul. Good to be here. Evening, gentlemen. Uh, I just posted a comment in YouTube saying it's 24 sleeps to Christmas. No. Really? Better, better get those advent calendars out, hey? It's, uh, it's certainly coming up very soon indeed. Um, I want to also give a special shout out to uh, our members watching tonight as well. A uh, special shout out to those who are performance members. Uh, Riz, of course. Uh, Riz is always supporting us. We've got uh, Scotty. Gaffer, Such Developments, Peter Cook, Paula Chappell, Viet Huang, and Scott McGregor. Uh, these are also some of our longest standing members as well. So thank you very much, everyone, for supporting the channel. also want to thank our uh, live stream partners as well, Jaua, Hansho, and EVSE. We've got uh, respective coupon codes uh, for those organizations, so make sure you check those out in the description below as well. And as always, we've got an accessory of the week this week, I want to plug this one. Yes, this is one of my favorites, actually. This is a car tray for Tesla Model 3, Model Y. Yes, uh, if you've got uh, young kids and you ferry them around like uh, we do uh, for their various activities, then you'll know you spend a lot of time in your cars. And this is a great tray to put food on, to put your laptop on, device, to watch whatever you want. And uh, it's very handy indeed. So check that out in uh, the, jo the, uh, <clears throat> the description below uh, for Joy and also the Tesla Tom coupon code as well. Check that out. All right, so tonight coming up, we've got our interview with Mr. James Downs from Eon Charge. I'm looking forward to that. Also, we're going to discuss new EV sales as always, and then DC charging news, followed by EV charging eye candy, and then following that with DC BYD, sorry, Tesla BYD and other EV news as well, of course. All right, let's introduce uh, our guest tonight, which is uh, Mr. James Downs from Eon Charge. Let's bring him on. Hey, James, nice of you to join us tonight. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. Hey, you're more than welcome. Uh, thanks for uh, appearing tonight, too. Looking forward to chatting with you. Um, in, uh, I guess, in your own words, what what exactly does Eon Charge do in the industry? Well, pretty simply, we're an EV charging infrastructure installer, maintainer, um, jack of all trades. <laughs> Everything to do with uh, charging and below, getting things working, basically, installed and working. Fantastic. And uh, we do appreciate what you do as well for us uh, EV owners and drivers uh, putting charges out there for us. Uh, James has also prepared a bit of a, a presentation for us as well. So, uh, yeah, strap yourselves in. Looking forward to hearing from James. So we've got our first slide here, James, which is this one here. Yeah, well, just a, um, I, I guess just to highlight, you know, the power required for these chargers. There's a 50 kilowatt DC charger uh, we put in down in regional Victoria. Uh, you know, and that requires, you know, like about 80 amps worth of current to run that. I don't know if you guys know what 80 amps is, if any electricians out there. I mean, that's basically a whole house. Uh, actually, these days, houses are generally, you know, wide up with 63 amps. So it's the whole house. So, you know, it's a lot of power for a single charger. Uh, I guess that's one of the challenges we find is, you know, where do you get this power from? Where do you get the feed from? So it's not as easy as people think. A lot of people think it's like, Oh, uh, going and putting a PowerPoint in somewhere, you know. <laughs> that's not like that at all. There's a lot of work that goes into, and you'll see later on in the slides, actually installing and, and um, designing something like this. I think I'm having trouble hearing you there, Tom. So I, I'm partly to blame for this because I'm always saying, yes, we need more charges, we need stalls, right? But now you put it into perspective, yep, 80 amps is uh, a lot of power for uh, one stall. Yeah, no, no, exactly. That's right. And it's three phase too, for, again, for the electricians out there. So, you, and for everyone else, it's basically, you know, 
single phase is one wire, three phases, three wires. So you've got three times ADMs running in there, actually. So it's a lot of juice. Yeah. Yeah. But again, the benefit is you can charge your car in, you know, about half an hour on average. Yeah. Typical for the charging speed. Um, yeah, I mean, so, and again, you know, it just goes up from there. So there's a, an installation which is uh, an EV network site down in Collingwood or Collingwood Library, hosted by the city of Yarra. But it's 160 amps there, so double the power. Uh, and when you go to this level, you also need to make a larger switchboard. You need to put in things called CT clamps, which is uh, because the meters can't support the direct current. So a whole lot of other infrastructure, basically, you've got to put in behind the scenes to support that. And again, that's that's got a two charges. Actually, if you if you walk around the streets of you know any capital city, you'll see the electricity pits in the ground. You probably walk over them all the time and don't really notice them. They're rated to about 160 amps usually. So one of those pits usually serves two properties or two 50 kilowatt charges. <laughs> I mean, we're seeing EV, like the brand EV chargers here. Like, obviously, you're not dedicated to EV. You install all the various types of providers in Australia. Yeah, so we, we took the view early on that we were going to be agnostic in terms of hardware, software. Um, so we're, we're a solution provider, really. We just want to get the the best product in the best place. So whether that's, you know, a residential apartment building or a public DC charging or a shopping centre. Okay, so let's say, like, let's say I'm a provider, um, like EV or ChargeFox or whoever it might be, and I approach someone like you, James, from a Young Charge, what, what's the first engagement here? Do I just say to you, look, I want to install something in central Melbourne or wherever it might be, central Sydney, What what's the next step from there? Yeah, look, I'll keep it generic because all the different... Our different customers have different ways of approaching things. So, but I mean, the general principle is the first thing you've got to do is do a site assessment. So you say, you know, number one, uh, do I have power? If I don't have power, I've got to go and get that, and that's a long, lengthy process, as you'll see a bit later on. Um, is there adequate car parking? Is there adequate amenities nearby? You know, what, what sort of sort of usage is going to be? So, if I'm a public charging network provider. I'm going to look at, you know, how many people are going to use it. Is it going to be used 24 hours a day? You know, what's my return going to be? Is it going to be a three, five, ten-year return period? That sort of thing. Um, you know, which is completely different to, say, an apartment complex. You just say, we've got all these residents who want charging. You know, we just need a solution for them. Now, is that putting, you know, two charges in the visitor spots and they, you know, pay as they go sort of thing? Or is that wiring the whole building to support everyone having their own charger, which we actually have a customer doing that at the moment, which is pretty amazing. Okay, so you're really more, um, not just an installer, but really a, a consultancy firm as such. You're actually providing end-to-end solutions for, you know, EV chargers, not just the simple installer. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, 90% of our time is, is spent in the consulting and planning stages. The installations, you know, it's, it's not that it's straightforward, but... Um, it's probably the easiest part out of all of it, to be honest. Yep. And and not just DC, right? You do AC as well, as you said, with apartment buildings too? Yeah, AC, DC, yeah. The only thing we don't do is single-dwelling residential. We, we steer clear of that market on purpose. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of people doing that and doing it probably better than we can do it. So we'll, we'll stick to our um, our line. Okay, well, let's uh, we'll move on to apartments maybe a bit later, but um, we'll keep going with your slides for now. And if any anybody has any questions from the live chat, please feel free to put them on the the chat. We'll uh, get James to answer them for us. So, um, the next slide is uh, yeah some examples of uh, charge ports from different um, different electric vehicles. Yeah, I've got to put this one up because I think you know being in the industry, you know, and as we all are EV enthusiasts, sometimes you forget people who might be new um, don't know all these different plug types and. You know, haven't been through the, even the Type 1, wouldn't even know what a Type 1 plug is. So, um, and that's actually they're pretty lucky in that regard. <laughs> but here, you know, you can see the uh, on the, the right there, you've got the standard Tesla port, which is a CCS combined. So it's got the AC at the top and the DC at the bottom, uh, as opposed to that picture of a, a FEV car, which is a plug-in hybrid car. It's only got the AC connector. And that's one of the common things we get at our DC sites when, we're, you know, someone comes up and says, I can't plug my car and how come I can't charge? And it's because that car doesn't have DC charging. It's only got AC charging. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a surprise to a lot of people. So that's something that needs to change, I think, in the, the industry at sale time. You know, you need to explain that to people, um, that they can't use all the DC fast charging. Sure, they can use all the 
AC charges at shopping centres, that's great, and at home. So it's not like you can't charge, but there are some limitations. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just quickly plug one of my videos too I did recently on educating uh, new owners on the different types of EV charges. So I'll put that link below. But you're right, James, there's, there's a lot of, actually a lot of education that needs to be done for new owners because there's, I mean, I think CCS2 is becoming kind of the de facto standard. And I guess now's a good time to ask, like we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of new charges uh, with a, a chat demo and a CCS2 port especially the ones that are government-funded, like from Arena, is that kind of a mandate from the government that needs to happen, that they need to have a Chadomo port? Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah, that's what they've all got. I mean, I think in the future, I think they will go. I mean, the good thing about a lot of these charges, you can replace those Chadomos with the CCS. Um, so the slide before where there was two 50 kilowatts, you might see one of those lose the Chadomo port you know, in a couple of years. You got that one there. Yep. Um, so there's only one Chadomo port and three CCS2s. Uh, those those charges there, the Tritium RTMs, they support concurrent charging as well. So you, I mean, there's only two bays there, so you don't need to have two cars at once. But um, in theory, they could support four charging bays eventually. Yep. I mean, I'd, I'd personally like to see the ratio of CCS2 to Chatamo reflect the ratio of the types of EVs that have those ports. Like, it, it, I guess it bugs me a little bit to see half Chatamo, half CCS2, if the majority of cars in Australia are CCS2, um, is there a mandate to be half and half or is it just at least one port? Yeah, I'd have to check the specs, but it definitely the early on um, requirements were, yeah, they had to support both. Mm. It, was, it was pretty blanket. So I think people just sort of took the easy route and said, yeah, we'll just do that. And, you know, at that time, a lot of the charging station manufacturers were making them that way anyway. Yeah, They've only started to change that quite recently. Yeah, I think I, I remember seeing someone posting on one of the social media sites a uh, one of the tritium fast chargers with two CCS2 ports, and that's I guess that's encouraging. That's starting to change. Well, we actually did an install for a customer recently. It was a private site, so you won't see it in public, but they've got uh, three dual CCS 75 kilowatt chargers, and they're a fleet customer. So what they've got is a whole bunch of AC chargers in their back under their solar car park, which is really good. And at the front, they've got a sort of a like a fast charging turnaround area where you've got people coming in, they might only be there for an hour or a meeting or something like that, or they come from the other side of town, they can charge up and then take off. So having that, again, that mix of DC and AC, I think is really important. Yeah, definitely. I think there should be some redundancy with AC ports, definitely. Um, I'll just put a comment here from Greg, one of our members. Um, I guess a little bit of a swipe at NRMA. Um, NRMA did not really look, they just shoved them out in the back of car parks. Um, I mean... You know, I guess I think part of the installation process needs to consider needs to there needs to be some consideration of amenities as well. Obviously, James, that's what you take care of as well in your consultancy. Yeah, look, and I, I, look, I, I see the criticism, but I can also see it from the other side as well. You sort of you're juggling a lot of things. People say we want you know we want to charge you right here. I mean, you go and look at the site, you realise that's a hundred metres from the switchboard. You know, that's going to add tens and tens of thousands of dollars to the cost of the project. Um, Somebody who has a shop in that area doesn't want you to take that spot for whatever reason. There's there's a lot of you know a lot of compromise. Are you doing any of um of the new sort of um, petrol stations that are getting into the game like Ampol or uh, BP or do they, do they have their own in-house kind of installers? Yeah, generally they have their own in-house installers. I, look, I believe look, we're not doing any service station stuff, so I can't really comment on that. Yep. Fair enough. Okay, well let's move on to the next slide here. Um, Let's put this one on here. So, yeah, this is good. Uh, some education around AC and DC. Yeah, well, just and just I guess just you know charging speed. Number one questions we get when we're installing chargers, public chargers, is how long does it take to charge and how much does it cost? I'll come back to that the cost one a bit later. Um, but yeah, charging speed it, it's so dependent on so many variables. I mean, it's the you know the state of charge of your battery, uh, the temperature outside. Are there any load management systems throttling things down? How fast can the charger go at maximum? What speed can your car go at maximum as well? So you'll see a lot of these 350 kilowatt rated chargers out there. If you go and turn up in your Hyundai Kona, it'll max out at 75 kilowatts, no matter how fast the charger is. Um, and then you get, you know, obviously the Teslas are different. Um, maybe you get a Model 3 will do 250 um, on a good day. Um, but also something people don't think about, you know, the, the Tesla stalls, they've got just the stall there with the, um, the connectors. 
the actual power units behind that, and each power unit serves two stalls. So if you're charging away happily and someone comes in and plugs in next to you, guess what? They're going to take half the power. So. Yep, that's true. That's also um, true for the other charging types too, right, like tritium or ABB? They sort of share power too? Yeah, yeah, they're all shared power, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those are sort of done, you know, like the other one we had before, there's a charge with two plugs, but it's only on one parking bay, so that sort of takes that problem away. Yep. But, yeah, that's a, just a tip if you're at a Tesla store and there's empty bays, get one, you know, by yourself. Yep. Now, this is a good point you make, James. Like, charging speed is – I think people need to know this. It's actually limited by the weakest link in the chain, whether it's the car charging speed or the power supply or the charging, you know, cap- capabilities. So – yeah, well, I try and sort of drum that as well into new owners. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest misconceptions is there on the AC front. People say, I'm going to put a 22 kilowatt charger in. It's the best charger I can get. And guess what? 90% of the cars out there will charge a single single phase 7 kilowatt. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah that's a brave, it's a brave new world for EVs, definitely, in terms of terminology. Um, I'll just put this comment here from James, uh, sorry, not from James, from Charles Gregory. Um, it says, I think a lot of the governments who are co-funding are conscious of being seen to support all EV owners. Uh, the cheapest EVs are Chatamo. Excluding the cheapest EVs would be a bad look politically. So, yeah, that's a good point from Charles, for sure. Yeah, and I completely agree with, with that point. We don't exclude anybody. So, Chatamo has got to be around. I think, like, to your point, though, Tom, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, 50%. Yep. Um, James, I don't know whether you can tell us this or not, but, like, I guess one of the benefits of uh, the Tesla superchargers is that they've got idle fees, so you don't see EVs camping there all day to go to the opera or go to the movies or whatever, <laughs> leaving your uh, vehicle there sort of plugged in. I mean, is do you know if there's any scope to to start I start install uh, start putting in idle fees for the other providers? I wouldn't know, and I can't really say no. on their behalf, but I know that the technology supports it. That's what I can say. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we should be lobbying the uh, providers to do that, to try and uh, be more equitable for, for all cars. Do you find that's a problem? I don't really come across that issue. Yeah, I, it, it does happen a little bit in, um, in inner Sydney. I've seen that around. Like, I've been test... No, when I test drive a non-Tesla, I think I'll go and try one out. Mm. Uh, but see sort of a car that's been parked there for a while, especially at night when they think, oh, I can sort of hold the spot and go shopping or go, go for dinner. Spend hours there. I, I think again, that's that's sort of down to education. I think personally, um, a bit of etiquette too. Don't know. Maybe maybe idle fees will help. What do you guys think? Um, I I think they would. I heard a story about someone yesterday at a free BP charger at the moment in Melbourne. Um, someone was sitting there. Uh, there were two other cars waiting, and uh, when. The next driver knocked on his window asking, well, you're nearly charged. What's happening? The guy said, I'm calibrating my battery. <laughs> and he was going to sit there for another half an hour calibrating his battery. Now, mm-hmm. I don't understand. The, like, if it was anywhere else, you would logically want to move because there's other people waiting to charge. So I think those idle fees will be beneficial. Like, it, it will only get. It'll be only be a matter of time before you know we've got so many more EVs this year compared to last year. So something needs to give, I guess. Yeah, I think I think with idle fees, it's probably helped with the long term education of, I guess, charger etiquette. Um, I think one of the things that I found with the um, Collingwood Library uh, chargers there by EV is when I finished charging or when the cars reached a certain point in charging, the plug is actually able to be unplugged from my car without me actually having to remotely or, or unlock it. And I think that might help in the future as well. You know, even if people are gone, um, I guess they, there should at least be a, a, a number that people could call or, you know, if, if the charging's finished, the plug is unlocked so somebody else can then use that plug, uh, which I've found with some of the other charging providers is not the case. The, the charge port the charging yeah is, is locked until the owner actually unlocks it yeah if i can i guess if i can recommend everyone download the plug share app that's kind of like the de facto messaging service we have for each other you can sort of message the owner if you know they've checked in then ask them how long will you be or you know something like that just yeah it's it's hard i think i think the idle fees are probably the way to go just to prevent this happening because you can't expect that kind of level of courtesy, I think, uh, long-term as more and more EVs come onto the market. Um, 
anyway, just that's just my two cents. And I'm seeing a lot of agreement here in the chat as well. Um, you know, people saying yes, they don't, they don't like it when you have an EV park in a spot for a long, long time. So yeah, I, I think that if you don't agree with me, leave a leave a comment in the chat. But I think idle fees are probably the way to go. Uh, and I'll say I should just quickly add, Tom, as well, uh, to not use uh, EV charging spots as parking spots. Um, I believe, I, Riz, you probably know this, but Victoria and Queensland have introduced fines for parking in EV parking spots without using the charger. Is that correct? Um, there is There's some discussion happening at the moment. I don't think it's statewide just yet, but some councils are taking things into their own hands. Um, I mean, it's not an issue where I live because we don't have any charges, but... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, but some some of the inner city councils are taking things into their own hands. So yeah, we may see more of them, um, more EVs getting pinged for, you know, not moving when they should be. Uh, James, question for you from Greg. Actually, um, there is lots of wild rumors that our grid cannot handle a lot of EV charging in the future. How good, bad, underprepared are the power wholesalers? Do we have decent capacity now? Pretty, pretty big question. Uh, I think there's a lot of, yeah, fun around that, to be honest. I mean, sure, the, the grid is, you know, wasn't designed um, with EVs in mind and also wasn't designed with a lot of renewable um, source generation either. But having said that, I, I don't think the, the, the speed at which we're moving, I don't think that's a problem. And there's a lot of things being done in the industry at government level to address these things. I, I really don't think it's going to be a problem. Um, I think the only thing that is an issue is... Everyone plugging in at you know six pm at night, and and that's that has to change. You know, people need to be incentivised with whatever the method is available. You know, whether it's cost or whatever else um, to charge. You know, during the day when it's more renewable, that sort of thing. Um, and there's some people working on some of that stuff. Some of your guests a couple of weeks ago, you know, doing things mm-hmm. like the app where you can tie it to your solar and that sort of stuff. I think that's really going to change. Yeah, I was just going to mention Jay from um, uh, Charge HQ. He did sort of mention that uh, long term, that could be a solution using AI to sort of monitor all of our charging overnight. Yep, good point. Um, I might put this next slide on, James, of yours. Yeah, that's just a, one I took of a you know out of our back end system, looking at a typical charge curve. So I don't know if that's interest to people or not. I mean, it's it's something I look at sort of you know on a daily basis, but um, so this is the power going into your car on a typical charge session. Now, I don't know what they started at in terms of state of charge there. So this is kilowatts being delivered to the car. So you can see there, sort of, now, this car actually sort of went down for a little bit. I don't know what happened there. But you can sort of see it slowly ramped up to its peak and then it just sort of gradually tapered off and then that last, you know, 10% was just sort of trickling through. So this sort of ties into the to what we're seeing. And the average charging speed on a DC public charger is about 35 minutes on average. And you can sort of see that there. Uh, about halfway down that downward slope is sort of when things sort of taper off and, you know, people either think, well, that's enough and I can move on or they just well, they just had enough as well. <laughs> They've done whatever they had to do at the, at the charger and they're, they're moving on. Yeah, and obviously different manufacturers have different charge curves as well. Like, you know, for example, the 800-volt batteries, they, they hold their speed pretty pretty constantly. Um, as we know, the, the other cars, they sort of dip off after 80% or so. Um, yeah. Again, that's sort of a bit of education, I guess, for new owners too, that you don't have to sit there if you don't, if you don't need to, to up to 100%. You know, you'd actually be up, your time is better spent going to 80, 85, and then driving mm-hmm. on to the next one. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, is, do you know whether, do you have data on what kind of car this was or not? Not really. No, I don't. I usually just grab that quickly. I didn't mm. actually look, um, but it's interesting mm. how that, that dip at the bottom at the start. Sorry. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that's going to be an issue too. I think I saw someone mention in the chat that, um, you know, we don't all have home charging, um, especially now we've got sort of high-density living in our inner city areas in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane. Um, that may become an issue with LFP batteries that need to go to 100% fairly regularly. People sit there and calibrate the batteries, so to speak. Yeah. Mm, yeah, potentially. I mean, that's where, you know, things like the curb charge or, you know, just, a, you know, putting a couple of AC charges in an apartment building, which is not complex. People say apartments are complex. I mean, they're, they're more challenging with single dwelling, but it's not, you know, putting a couple of charges in is, is not that complicated in most cases. Yep. Trying to wire a whole building, yes, that's complicated. 
<laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Here's a question from Peter. Why does the power throughout throughput drop so quickly on fast charges? They only sit at 150 kilowatts for a very small percentage of the charge. Yeah, well, that's a good question. That's sort of what this slide's, you know, illustrating and then the one previously as well. So the charger might be rated for that and that's the maximum it'll ever do, but it really depends on all those other conditions like your battery state of charge, the environmental temperature, um, load sharing. I mean, some of those things are actually throttled, so they might only run at 120, even though they're rated at 150, so you'll never get more. Uh, and also the way that your car accepts the charge, you know, whatever the, the charging profile of your car is. No, good answer, uh, James. Um, now, Peter's got a good point, which, you know, obviously we all wouldn't subscribe to if we uh, lived uh, in a world that was perfect for us EV owners. Uh, if every space at CBD, parking lots, workplaces, park and ride lots, all had load managed ports, it would give renters and apartment dwellers permission to buy that EV with certainty of charging opportunities. Mm, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for that sort of development. All right, let's move on to your next slide there, James, which is, uh, yeah, this is a good one. I like this pie chart here. Yeah, so just installation time. So, I mean, I can't actually read there, but I, I know it's, most of it's in the uh, the planning and the at the moment it's hardware procurement. Now, that hopefully might change in the future. You know, as you may know, there's a long lead times on, you know, especially DC charges at the moment, mainly due to global supply constraints and um, things like that. But so that's the, that's our biggest thing. So you know, the planning and actually procuring the hardware. The rest of it's you know, only like a third of the time to actually do the install, commissioning, testing, get it all up and running. Yeah. So I think as you mentioned before, time a lot of the time is spent on the planning side, the consultative type of approach. Do you have much to do with um, the maintenance as well, James? After they're installed? Yep. Yeah. yeah, we do. So we have uh, maintenance contracts in place, and that's another key and that's something that. Um, I think a lot of people sort of gloss over when they're doing mm. uh, tenders and things and, put, and getting grants and put charges in. Uh, they focus on just the cost of the charger and not all the ongoing stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like any piece of equipment, electrical equipment, it needs to be maintained uh, to make sure it's going to continue working. Uh, and, and also just anecdotally as well, I think things that are maintained, especially in the public domain, if things look like they've been, you know, cleaned and, and looked after and, you know, sort of tidied up, I think people generally treat them better as well. Yeah, I guess um, my question also with maintenance is, okay, let's just sort of compare the different providers without naming them. Um, do they all own the charges? Like what's the business model with uh, some of the big players there? Do they, are they, are they, whose responsibility is it to maintain them, for example, if they're not working? Yeah, well, that, that really comes down to, the ownership, like I said, so some of the charge point operators own the, the hardware. You know, they actually own the charges. Other charge point operators um, don't own it. They just provide the access and, you know, and the, um, the billing side of it. And then the site host um, owns the infrastructure. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. Okay. So, but ultimately, I guess, um, yeah, so if there's, a, if there's an issue, then obviously some of them, it falls under your restriction as well, where you've got to go out there and have a look at them. Too. Yeah, that's right. So we're more of a you know a background provider there. So if you know someone says there's a problem with the charger, they might call us to go and have a look at that issue and resolve it um, on their behalf. Yep. Yeah, I think you know if they're government funded, personally, I think they they really should be maintained. Um, if they're using public money, that's just that's just my opinion. Um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll see them because we've had some issues, obviously, with the tritium charges lately and as you said it's, it's a probably a, a global supply issue getting parts um out of out of our control unfortunately yeah i mean look that's definitely playing into it as well and it's also you know new technology there's some teething problems i mean definitely sort of like you know the difference between 12 months ago and now that there's a lot less issues mm. here's a question from greg as well um are 350 kilowatt charges just marketing hype now do you think it would, would be better putting in two times 150 kilowatt charges instead Oh, it's a loaded question, that one. Um, me, me personally, yes. Uh, people would disagree with me. Um, but I, I think 150 is sort of the sweet spot for to cover, you know, the most number of cars, you know, get them back on the road as quickly as possible and service most of the population. I think 150 is, you know, adequate. I mean, it, it, especially when you're stopping, you're going to stop for, on a highway, you're going to stop for 15, 20 minutes regardless. Um 
I mean, you're either going to stop for two minutes and get out of there, or you're going to stop for at least 15 to 20. So you, you actually don't need it to be like a five minute charge, really. And that, that's just my opinion. Yep. I guess I guess that sort of plays into what amenities are available as well. Like I'm happy to stop with the family for twenty to thirty minutes if if there's a nice place to sit or somewhere to eat. But if I'm somewhere that's not that great, then I kind of don't want to be there too long. <laughs> so it's kind of a catch twenty two with the um, initial install process. I think. Yeah, it is. But I, I, I actually did this. I timed it a couple of times, even just going up to the the human. If you stop at one of the large sites, by the time you've like gone to the toilet to stretch your legs and maybe get a coffee, like twenty mm. minutes is gone without even trying. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's that's certainly a message I try to um, hammer home to uh, people on the on the fence or looking to buy an EV. Um, now let's move on to your next slide, there, James, which is this one here. Yeah, so that, I put that one up just as an, uh, an idea of exactly what you're talking about. It's, um, you know, placement of charges. It's, it's really critical. I mean, there needs to be something around you to do. I mean, especially on the, the 50 kilowatt charges, you're going to be there for, you know, probably half an hour, maybe 40 minutes. Um, you know, having something nearby, whether it's, you know, a fast food outlet, a shopping mall, you know, you had a comment the other week about someone going to the gym. I don't know how they can go to the gym that quickly, but... <laughs> It'd take me that long to get changed. <laughs> I don't, don't spend too long exercising. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think just, you know, putting them where there's nothing at all, that's just not going to work. It's, it's yeah. Yep. It's not like a petrol station where you can just come in and get out. You, you need something around you. Yeah. I'm not sure whether you can, you can talk about this, but have you received any tenders from any large fast food chains recently? No. No. Okay. So just just on that one there, James, is that Vermont? Um, that is, yes. Because apparently, if you charge there, you get free chips from the Red mm. Rooster. This is you legit. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but that, you definitely were. Yeah. <laughs> no chip shortage there. Haha. <laughs> um, <laughs> Raul, you got a question for James? Yeah, um, you know, uh, just out of curiosity, James, I was going to ask, uh, can you give us an example, uh, one of each, uh, of a difficult site install, but, you know, that you guys were really happy with the end result, uh, and also like an example of a install that is has been surprisingly popular with, uh, um, yeah, EV owners, uh, top of your head? Yeah, sure. Well, this one's actually been pretty popular from what I can tell. And it was also a challenging one. So it's, it's probably both in uh, one answer there. Yeah, this one had, you know, just some complexities around getting the power to the site. Um, and actually Red Rooster, you know, was actually very accommodating in that process. We had to, you know, obviously upgrade the switchboard, which is a shared switchboard. And, you know, they you know, had to take an outage to do that. And we, you know, make sure we minimise that, you know, to a couple of hours late at night but um when they were shut down but yeah that was a, a challenging build um there's a lot of underground work that happened on that one that is invisible to everybody else uh, there's a big large horizontal bore in that one to get the cabling through um, but it's also been a pretty successful site from from what i can tell mm-hmm. we, we've seen a lot of interesting things i think probably the most uh, probably the funniest story is one we're doing in regional victoria and we were there actually with the, the crane truck and we had the machine lowering it down onto the ground and there was a guy sitting in his Model 3 waiting to be the first to charge. <laughs> <laughs> so he was in the car park for hours while we installed it and commissioned it and he, he wanted to be the first one. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's uh, commitment right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his um, name wasn't Riz Akhtar, was it? By <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I would do those things. I would do those things. I've I've waited outside Tesla and Mulgrave waiting for first delivery of Model Ys for hours, and then as soon as it's done, I'm I'm there. So James, before it's funny because James has opened a couple of sites here in Victoria, and I've been one of the first people, not because I was waiting there and camping overnight, was but just going out there and just testing it. It's been pretty cool. Hastings. Sorrento, um, Stud Park, a couple of them. So, yeah, all sites work every time I get there. It's just when I leave. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> and, yeah, that was pretty funny. We did, we did the Hastings one, and the next day you're sending me photos in your, in your Genesis you know, 
Oh, I was thinking, one, where did you get the Genesis from <laughs> so quickly? Well, Genesis in Melbourne didn't see one missing. So I returned <laughs> it as quickly as I got it. <laughs> yeah, Riz is a bit of a charging groupie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of exercising there's some funny comments here from the chat uh charles gregory just run away from the charger for 10 minutes and then turn around run for another 10 minutes back so there you go get your exercise there <laughs> p to v charge and exercise yep absolutely um here's a good one from greg again thanks greg for your questions um any info why the great ocean road in victoria is so lacking in dc fast charges it's probably the second most popular drive in victoria and there is nothing james i have asked that question many times and we've been in contact with a lot of people down there and there's a lot of people who want charging down there so it's not for lack of trying um there are some complexities I know with installing charges or anything actually in, in crown land, any type of infrastructure within 200 metres of the foreshore. Um, there's some, yeah, some legislation around that which holds up some sites. But yeah, that's no, a good question. The, I, I don't know to this day why there isn't at least a couple of charges in the major cities uh, on that, or the town, sorry, on that road. Yeah, I mean, the, the alternative, I guess, is to put AC charges in accommodation, like down in Apollo Bay, I guess. It's one good spot to stop overnight if you're visiting. Yeah, but it'd be good to get some fast charges on that route. Beautiful drive. Um, mm. All right. Uh, yeah, Peter V, good good point here. If there were more slow charges available, you could shop and charge, gym and charge, and do it through the day to take advantage of renewables in the day. That's a very good point. Uh, there should be lots of them in lots of places. Um, James, I was going to ask you too, a lot of these charges you put in, are they run on renewables or, or sort of, do you have stats well, on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's not up to, to us necessarily, but it's, uh, yeah, but they are definitely. Yeah. So whether that's, you know, renewable credits or whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Cool. That's good to see. Um, let's look at this one here. This is a good slide from the AEVA for charge port locations. Yeah, so thanks to Ava for putting that. That's on their public website. Um, yeah, this is just another thing about site design. People, you know, you see stuff on PlugShare, so, oh, why did you put the charger this way? You know, my car doesn't work. And this is exactly the reason. You look at that and you, you just can't please everybody. So you just got to go with what's going to please the most people most of the time and, and just try and do the best you can. I mean, the, the charges have the, you know, the ones with the cable management have a sort of, you know, a five, six metre reach, which is pretty good. You get most people can get the uh, you know the plug connected in some fashion, even if it's not you know probably ideal, but they can at least charge. Yep. I mean, is is there um, you know the longer the cable is it is there a problem with the speed that you get or not really? No. no. Okay. Um, this is Charles Gregory's picture too. That's a nice diagram. Sure is Charles. Thanks <laughs> for that. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a great point. Like. The, the charge ports are everywhere around the car, so you, you just can't please. And this will be a problem too with um, with uh, superchargers being open to the public very soon because, I mean, unless you can find an extension somewhere, it's going to affect yeah. a lot of the non-Tesla vehicles with the different charge ports. Oh, completely. Sometimes I even find they're too short for Tesla. Like, you know, that we're, it's just sometimes it's weird. You just think, yeah, I must have to park really close to get that to work. Yeah, so if you're going to try and pull up in a, a Kona or something or uh, ID4 when they come out, whatever. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've yeah, comment. Sorry, James, go on. No, no, I was going to say thanks to the uh, child for the uh, photo. Yeah. Uh, I've read comments too, actually, on, um, on cars that are slower, like... Uh, some manufacturers have got a top speed of 80 kilowatts, for example, uh, 100 kilowatts versus... Like an Ionic, which can go up to 220, 230, uh, even the EV6s do that. Mm. I guess, is it fair for one of those slower cars to take up a, ch a fast charging spot? I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's hard to mandate, you know, this vehicle must go to this charger. You can't really do anything about that, can you? Yeah, no, not really. I think that's just, yeah, just have more charges, you know, the idle fees, like you talked about before, that sort mm. of stuff. Yep, yep, more charges. That is the absolute key. Oh, thanks, Ray, for joining as a new member today. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, 
Yes, so Dinosaur King 88, is there a now a bigger push to install more than one charger per site? I mean, what are you seeing, James? Are you seeing installers, oh, sorry, providers wanting to put more than one now or is it, is it still varied? Oh, no, definitely. Yeah, and I think um, a couple of weeks ago you had the New South Wales government on there talking about, you know, the grants and they were mandating, I think it was four, wasn't it? Uh, yep, four. The site minimum, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and all the, the charge point operators definitely want to have more than one there for, for lots of reasons. I mean, they can service more customers, it's redundancy you know, built in, it's just better for everybody. Yep. Mm. James, just, just on that point with some of the some of the sites that are going in with one or two charges at the moment, what will happen in the future uh, to these sites? I mean, do you feel there is um, expansion built in or would it mean more sites to be created or update the charging hardware where it can allow for more cars to be charged at the same time? Yeah, it really depends on what the power is at the site. A lot of those, you know, single charges you're seeing through regional Victoria, they would probably just have to have another charger in a maybe a similar location to service a different part of the town. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a lot of those have to max out basically. Yeah. Yep. All right, local question for you, James from Ray, our new member. Ask James, what about the site at the new Servo Hungries at Bacchus March in Victoria, the freeway, as it has the cabling underground in place already? Uh, I'm not sure of that one. So we're, we're not involved in that site. Yep. And Raul's got a question as well about um, consultation for the federal EV strategy, Raul? Yeah, just yeah. checking whether Eon Charge was part of that consultation or contributed to that uh, EV strategy. No, we're not part of that. I've got a question actually about um, apartment installations because um, I know a lot of our viewers live in apartments and are very interested in that process. Uh, you've obviously done some apartment installations, James? Yeah, yeah done quite a few. Uh, look, they're, they're all different. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's, there's no cookie-cutter approach there. Um, but again, it's, it's that consultation piece, you know, what are they trying to achieve? We ask those questions first and then we, you know, try and come up with a solution. Yep. We had a guest on a few months ago, which I think they installed 30, 30 in their place in Victoria. Um, I mean, what's your record, James? <laughs> well, it's not there yet, but the one we're working on has got 100, 100 oh. Wow. And, and they're capable of the whole building. Ooh. Granted, they're not putting all the charges in from day one, but they are future-proof in the building. Okay. So they're very forward-thinking. So it's kind of like the last mile model is again right for the owner yeah that's right so what, that, what that, this project is is upgrade the building so they've got a dedicated you know power supply dedicated distribution board for the EV charging all the sort of backbone cabling is done all the poms ethernet's done like management systems in place and then it's just up to the owner to say when they get an EV just to that last mile yeah connection um all right well let's see what else you've got one more slide here from you we've done that one have we no not yet so yep this is the dc charger installation cost pie chart oh yeah just to sort of break down that you know the bulk of the cost there is if people are interested is, is the hardware and the civil works and that's you know so it's all the heavy lifting type stuff is where all the cost goes in that's what you know these things are not cheap that's why they just pop up everywhere and, and that you know they have to have a lot of planning and make sure it's going to be worthwhile so the charge point operators get a return on their investment yeah so there's quite a bit of um, capital outlay to build a charging network yeah now this i mean this what you've done tonight is really uh, for me personally anyway i appreciate what you're doing appreciate um, educating us on what goes on behind the scenes in a in a charger there's a lot more than we uh think about for sure so thank you um here's another slide for yep another dc charger here yeah, that's another another DC. So again, it's just sort of I got that from Plugshare. I don't know if you can read that uh, comment down the bottom there. Um, uh, it's this very convenient location, right behind Woolies. Hope more charges like this will be available soon. Of course, they will be great if they are free from March 19, twenty two. Yeah. So um, the the location, yes. The free, no. So I think that's one you know, big thing to point out. That I think the days of free charging are generally over now. Yeah, the early adopter phase is definitely over. I think we've all milk that as much as we can now um yeah. early adopters yeah uh, you know it's just not going to go mainstream um you know having free charging and yeah that's a pretty cool site there it's 
well, what we can't see in this picture is about a minute's walk from a, a main beach in Melbourne, a Chelsea beach. I did stalk this charger for many months. <laughs> so there was fencing around it. I was knocking on council's door. Nothing happened. When it did open, Tesla Owners Club of Australia, we organized an event and there's a cafe just probably 50 meters to the right of that photo. And then about another 150 meters to the left is the beach. So it is an awesome spot. And yeah, we need more sites like this. And agree, James, everything needs to be paid. If it's free, people don't appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're right. Is that photo doesn't really give it justice because that's the Woolies just there and then the cafe yeah. and the beach. And there's a whole bunch of other shops just, you know, a minute walk away as well. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely got to be got to be paid. I agree with all of you, gentlemen. Um, you know, if if you can't have people camping there all day as well, if it's going to be if it's going to be free, so a bad idea. And, and Charles agrees with me. Free charging is a terrible idea. Even most EV owners think this. It encourages bad habits. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more, Charles. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and this is a screenshot of some apps you recommend, James. Uh, what's that? Well, not ones that I recommend. I just got this off uh, LinkedIn today, actually. So, who was it? Philip Chalco? I don't know Philip really, but um, I just saw this come up in the feed and I thought that was very interesting. So, he's obviously Australian-based and he's got all the different apps that he's got uh, on his phone to deal with all the different networks. And it just sort of made me think about what the future is going to look like. You know, are we going to go down the path of network roaming like they are starting to do in Europe? Um, well, they've been doing it for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, network roaming, you know, plug and charge, for those who don't know, that's the ability for the car to basically authenticate with the charger so you don't have to use an app, don't have to use an RFID card, you just have to have an account with the charging provider. The, the way Tesla does it, basically, they've implemented a proprietary, you know, implementation of that ISO 15118 standard. Um, but, I mean, that that is technically possible, would, would take some... Know, agreement between all the network providers. It, it probably, to be honest, it probably won't happen until there's some sort of mandate from the government to regulate that. I would say, but I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's something that's that's required, or do you think it's okay to have multiple apps and people can choose their favourite network? Yeah, I think personally, um, hearing what's on the ground, like people don't like having multiple apps on their phone, and it is a hassle having to open one up for each different provider. I know the New South Wales government guys we had on recently said that they are asking for the charges to be credit card ready as well. I think that's that's certainly a step ahead of using a different app each time. I mean, these charges have got that ability, right, James? Um, they can use credit card swipe to start. Uh, a, lot, a lot of them have them built in, but actually there's, there's quite a bit to actually get them configured and, and tied into the back end, and there's an extra cost to that as well. So they're not always implemented that way. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, you know, if, if it's not networked, then I think that's probably at least one step ahead using credit cards, personally. Riz, you were going to say something? Yeah, just um, in the UK, there's a there's one startup I know, it's called Bonnet, and they're aggregating a lot of different charging networks all going through Bonnet's app. So, yeah. that you know, those whatever it is, 12, 16 charging apps all in one. But once again, as James said, there's a level of agreement, you know, like mm -hmm. if in Australia, Charge Fox and EV aren't all of a sudden going to say, well, okay, Bonnet, you can take everything that we've got. Um, but I think how those type of one app for all succeed is by giving end users, us as EV owners, an awesome experience. So if we can start to see that and use the app then there's an incentive for suppliers to be on there as well because people are using it and people don't want to use, as an example, like a Charge Fox app for, um, and they may want to just use Bonnet because it offers such good experience. All the payments are all organized. You can see all your charge sessions and it's somewhat cheaper. Um, then there's probably a reason to do it. So one app could be the answer, but everyone needs to be on board and, I don't think with someone like, you know, Ampol and AGL and all of these guys, they're big enough and they will just say no. Yeah. Another option could be to add the charging, you know, charging card to your Apple wallet or Google wallet, whatever it is. Um, at least that's sort of tethered to your phone. Mm -hmm. uh, but as Riz said, like some sort of awesome experience, whether it be maybe loyalty points, 
like if a third party app is using, you can use that for all these different types of apps. Um, I don't know, free food at the amenities nearby, something like that. So something to incentivize people to use that third party app. I've heard the new Twitter app is going to have everything in it. So it's the Tesla app as well as charging app, as well as payments, as well as Uber, all in one. It's it's the Times Square in one. Not so, Apple though, right? No, not Apple though, but apparently that's been resolved today. Oh. So um, basically, if the Twitter app will 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 be running the iOS ecosystem from now on. So yeah, <laughs> we'll look forward to uh, using it when it's launched officially. And how much does it cost? Eight dollars, I think. I might. Eight dollars. That's right. That's, I knew there was a figure like that. Or an annual subscription of four hundred twenty dollars. <laughs> Dot sixty nine cents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, James, thank you very much for your uh, insights tonight. If you're happy to stay on for the rest of the show, we'll um, go through some more slides we've got uh, to keep going with. So if you've got comments and questions for James, please put them in the live chat there if you're watching live and uh, we'll put them up for you as we go. Okay, so um, so we've got uh, some new EV sales data from Riz from Carloop as always. Riz, take it away with this one. Cool. Uh, fresh off the Carloop press, this one. Um uh, November's just ended, and um, they've added about 500 new Teslas to New South Wales Tesla fleet. So, 500 new customers, um, or somewhere around there. And the EV passenger EV uptake is nearly at 20,000 EVs now. So, by the end of 2022, we will exceed 20,000 EVs in the state of New South Wales, um, which is, you know, and as we can see, Nearly fourteen thousand of them will be Teslas, so a big achievement. Yeah, and and obviously Tesla at this stage of the game is still driving the driving force behind the EV adoption in New mm. South Wales. You can sort of see it in this chart as well. Um, I mean, side by side, right? Like as where you've got the big bumps in Teslas being delivered, that's the big bumps in the EV uptake in New South Wales as well. So. Yeah, very very good to see. Ne- nearly twenty thousand EVs, New South Wales, leading every single state and territory when it comes to passenger EV uptake. Yep, yep, and it certainly is a payoff for the New South Wales government's EV policy that we've been discussing, obviously, over the last year. So, well done, New South Wales. Uh, let's talk about used EV sales now, and uh, Riz has got a slide for the BYD Atto three. Yeah, it's um, it, that, this one's a very complex chart with uh, four BYD Atto 3s. Um, I mean, they, they haven't been out for too long. Maybe we'll see more on the used market, but there's about three or four of them up for sale. And um, the the used prices for one of them was like nearly $62,000. Uh, and um, yeah, that price came down by five grand in two weeks. And that's sitting at about 57000 at the moment. That one's sitting in Perth. So, yeah, very, uh, very cool to um, finally be able to start tracking these now. And hopefully, as more of them make it to our roads, we'll see them get onto the used market and with lower markups than they have been with the current ads. Yeah, we'll certainly uh, keep track of the BYD Atto 3 listings. Uh, We'll see whether they mirror what's been happening with Model 3 and Ys in the last few months. Uh, let's have a look at news for government incentives in Australia. Of course, the big news this week was that the uh, federal EV discount has finally been passed, which means that if you are entitled to a Novator lease through your employer, then you may get a bit of a discount with your new electric vehicle. And it would certainly make a lot more sense to get an EV rather than uh, an ICE car, because you've got to pay that FBT, which your employer will pass on to you. Again, I've got a video out uh, which ex- sort of explains that. Uh, I'll put that in the link below. Uh, Riz and I had fun explaining that the other day, so check that one out. Uh, and uh, some EV charging eye candy here. So, uh, yeah, I think James maybe you can get some ideas from these uh, shots from overseas. Um, so here's the first one from Germany. Yep. I do like the colours, actually. And, uh, yeah, look, I can see they're right next to the Tesla ones, too. And well signed on the ground as well. And then this one is from France, Callista Energy. Look at that one. The spot number three is a um, accessible spot as well. So Ooh. there you go. EV charging and a disabled spot. 
Yeah, that's actually a big consideration, Tom, a lot of the, the sites we're doing at the moment. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely a thing that's being thought about a lot. It's not always possible to implement that, but, yeah, it is It is on the, um, the roadmap. Yep. And, um, James, I was going to ask too about um, moving forward. We saw, obviously, with um, this well, last week, the electric ute was released uh, by LDV. People Mover was released. The big vans are coming. I mean, do they have to take that into consideration as well when installing charging spots for those larger vehicles with maybe even trailers in the back? Yeah, well, it's, it's you know something you see a few comments on Plugshare at the moment. Like all those sites, if you pull in a trailer, you can't really pull through. So it is inconvenient for them or might even be impossible without unhitching the trailer. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's something to we have to take into account. Also, yeah, trucks, buses, different sort of arrangements. Yeah, that's right. Buses too. That's right. Um, now, let's, uh, this is another location from Chile, ABB eMobility. Um, I assume that's a solar paneled canopy. Um, mm. j- here's a question from James, uh, for James from Ray. Have you done any solar canopy battery and charging site installations yet? We have not, but we would love to. I was actually looking at some uh, today on- online, Australian company. I thought uh, that's, that looks pretty good, actually. We'd like to partner up with it. Yeah, that'd be good to see. Here's one from Norway. I like these ones. They look like almost like a sink, like a kitchen sink. A U-shaped sort of spring-loaded ones. Oh, that's uh, the that'd be the kin powers. Isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we should see some. I think they're going to the the EV. Um, sorry, the WA charging network in, in uh, uh, Perth, Western Australia. Yeah. I think I saw news that was starting today, wasn't it, or yesterday? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. started rolling out, and I think I think the majority of them are going to have those chem powers and some tritiums as well. Mm. It's a good question from Peter V. Actually, more of a rhetorical one. Does that mean the spot can't be used if you don't have a disability permit, or is it a priority for dis- for disabled drivers? Good question. Don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that just should be designed so they're wide enough for anybody, basically. Doesn't have to be a designated, you know, disabled charging spot. I don't think. I guess maybe one day when there's wider adoption, when everyone's driving an EV, I suppose you can, can have that legislation. Uh, this mm. one is from France, Fastnet France. We've seen a few of these um, sort of canopy type with solar panels. They look pretty cool. Yep. What sort uh, of charges are they, Tom? What's that? Sorry. What sort of charges are they? In hyperchargers, these ones, they've got like a slightly angled roof. Um, there was, you know, I think Charles um, knows this as well. The Ampol sites were either supposed to be these ones or the ABBs, but they've gone with the ABBs. But in Europe, it seems the, these are sort of the go-to chargers at the moment. Mm, okay. Now, this one's really interesting, this next series of picks. So this was supplied by Riz, I believe. Um, this is a battery swap station. Um, yeah, this is, um, I, I believe, in Germany getting ready for NEO's launch. Uh, obviously, I didn't put my runners on and go all the way there to take these photos for everyone, but that's the goal. Um, so that's NEO's battery swap station in Germany, and um, they're rolling more and more of these out in Europe. They look pretty cool. Um, I think it's about seven minutes to do a full swap from an empty battery to a full one. Um, and yeah, um, good to see Neo starting to expand in Europe and hopefully um, Australia um, in the coming years too. Yeah, we, we I think we said Riz uh, we, during our show uh, that 25 now in China that they're rolling out to start with, more to come. Uh, yeah, so they've they've got I think twelve hundred and fifty in China at the moment, but there's way more that they're rolling out um, in China, but also in um, Europe now as well. So really cool to see. And how cool does that car look? Mm. Yeah, sleek. I wonder whether there'll be like a two tier system where if you want speed and the battery swap, you pay a bit more, or if you're happy to wait twenty five minutes, you can charge. I guess my concern with battery swapping is that you don't know what battery you're going to get. Like, is it the same quality in terms of degradation or I don't know how they can regulate that. I think that ends up with Neo themselves. So I believe that the consumer doesn't really own the battery. 
So it's sort of like the gas bottles, right? Like you don't really own the mm. bottle as such. You just swap it out when you can, or maybe you pay for it in the beginning. But yeah, with battery swap, what I understand is sort of just swapping it and not really owning the battery. So it's not your responsibility as to what happens with the battery. It's up to Neo to ensure that they maintain it up to the standard. And if it's not a very good battery, then they need to they need to basically swap it out of the network. Yeah, maybe that's that, the way it works. That takes the question of uh, how long is this battery going to last out of the equation, right? It's not yours, so mm-hmm. less stress. Good point. All right, let's move on to um, Spotted. So what did we see this week on Sydney's roads? We saw a BYD Dolphin in camo uh, driving around Western Sydney. So this was a good spot by one of our viewers uh, who tagged me, Lachlan Smith. Thank you, Lachlan. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's been one in the BYD showroom for a while, but good to see it being tested on the roads, though, as well. Hmm, that one in the showroom's gone back to China, from what I understand. Oh. Uh, it swam back, so <laughs> that's. Uh, I think it's this one's obviously swam the other way and come back to visit us. I do like the BYD's marine theme. We've got the seal, we've got the dolphin. I think I saw the seagull today, too, which is a sodium iron <laughs> one. So we'll explore yeah. that one, yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, events coming up. Of course, uh, the fully charged live in March. Check out the coupon code there for 10% off tickets. Um, yes, Lucas Feed will be there with the stall. So come and say hello if you're going to be around. And let's whip through some Tesla news as well. So, of course, full self-driving beta dropped to uh, North American owners with uh, that option in their car. So great milestone for the Tesla autopilot team. We've got the Tesla Semi event coming up. Well, 1st of December, which is their time, I assume, tomorrow, our time. So, yeah, check that out if you are home or somewhere watching that. We've got a new Tesla mobile app available as well in North America. And you can, I think there's live sentry mode for the in-car camera too. Uh, That'll be a bit freaky. Seeing what's happening inside. And you can also see the, the, uh, the notes as well, the release notes from within the app too. It's good. Um, Tesla is officially launching in Thailand. Uh, Darren Young tweeted that. Uh, Darren's our guest for next week. So thank you, Darren. Good to see Tesla expanding in other markets. And we've got, look at this. This is the uh, uh, Midnight Silver, I believe, uh, from Berlin. Quicksilver? Sorry, Quicksilver. Quicksilver. My apologies. Yeah, that's a nice looking color. Look at that one. Next to the whites. Mm. And finally, Tesla news, uh, South Korea is readying itself to attract another Tesla gigafactory in North Asia, in Korea. So, yep, good to see there. All right, let's look, look at BYD news now. So we've got, uh, yeah, BYD overtaking Tesla for new, uh, new energy vehicle registrations in China, or insurance registrations anyway. Um, yeah, I saw a tweet today about uh, Tesla's market share dwindling. Interesting times ahead. So there's a slide there of uh, Chinese market. BYD is certainly outperforming there. Um, Some other news from around the world. So the radar, the first known Chinese electric pickup has been unveiled. That's a good range there, 400 to 600 kilometers of range. Again, if you're watching radar, Geely Motors, we'd like to have a look at one of those, please. Thank you. And Sea Electric was showcased at the New Zealand Trucking uh, Industry Show. I do like the Sea Electric trucks. They look quite nice. Um, this is not strictly EV news, but digital parking signs spotted in Surrey Hills. This could potentially be have implications for EV charging, maybe, if you've got an EV charger at one of these spots. Mm. I think... Um there's some real cool stuff happening. Um, even in Melbourne to, um, earlier this week, I saw, you know, where you're about to cross the road with pedestrian crossings and they've got these little yellow spots um, sort of on the ground. I saw them illuminate. Mm. So they've got them like when you're supposed to stop, they're sort of illuminating red and yellow. And, and then when you're supposed to go, they, I think, illuminate green. So there's some cool future city stuff happening with this particular sign, uh, reminds me of tritium screens. Uh, what can potentially happen to them? So, but it's it, it's good to try this sort of stuff, and I think it would be 
cool where they do need to allow for EV charging and other things in similar areas. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Woolies now, they've got uh, digital price ticketing. So, yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, they can change their parking spot, uh, you know, times while you're parked in the spot and give you a fine. <laughs> I'm oh, being cynical. Um, and, yeah, finally, Toyota Watch. Uh, we've got uh, one article today. So here we go. Toyota Europe and Japan have opened a joint investigation after tests carried out by Scandinavian journalists showed Toyota's all-wheel drive BZ4X EV only travelled 134 miles. Uh, that's 47% below Toyota's claimed WLTP range. Sorry, Toyota. Got to try a bit harder, unfortunately. All right, so, well, uh, sorry, Riz, go on. I'm just going to say, oh, what a feeling. <laughs> Thank you, Riz. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, that might be it for tonight, everyone. Um, James, thank you so much again for uh, your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Again, I you know a lot of insights from uh, what you've presented, so I really appreciate that. I learned a lot about DC charging installation and what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, we'll let you know when the next site's up and running and we'll um, Riz will be down there in a, in a dolphin or a seal or something. <laughs> I'll I'll be camping the night before. <laughs> EV charges are Riz's concert tickets. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you to Riz and Raul, as always. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, James. And thanks, Raul. It's good to be on. Lovely. Uh, James, uh, thanks so much. Uh, great to make the acquaintance. And, uh, yeah, keep us posted with uh, Eon Charge uh, Future Sites. Uh, Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, we'll do, Rahul. Nice to meet you as well. Riz, pleasure as always. And uh, coming up next week is our final live stream for 2022, or final official live stream anyway, uh, Thursday, 8th of December, State of EV Adoption in Singapore with uh, our guest Darren Jung, my good friend and YouTuber. Uh, we'll be giving us some insights on uh, adoption in Singapore. Lots of lessons to learn as well from uh, that country. And once again, thank you to uh, our live stream partners, uh, Joe Hansho and Evia Seed. Go check out those coupon codes in the description below. And uh, yeah, that's it for tonight, everyone. Uh, thank you to all the uh, comments and questions in the live stream chat. Really appreciate that. Uh, if you're watching on replay, thank you so much for watching this far. Make sure you leave a comment as well. And uh, thank you for listening to us on podcast as well. All right, gentlemen, uh, Riz, Rahul, James, thank you for your time as always. And uh, to everyone else, thank you. And we shall see you next week on Ludicrous Feed Live. Take care, everyone, and as always, happy charging. <laughs>